Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. But, uh, maybe if you start first, David, yeah. to explain yeah. what you're going to be doing today. <laughs> what we thought we'd do, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about each other's, uh, our own work, and, and give a, a kind of a sonic example of what we do, just to give you a kind of flavour, um, for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes each, and then we'll do a kind of half an hour performance, <laughs> improvised. Uh, we'll try to get something going. So my work, really, I'm a, I'm a sonic artist, really. I work with sound. I do a lot of work with field recording, um, specifically around the, the sonic cultures of making, um, and that's focused quite predominantly on textile industry and textile making um, through the hand through to the machine. What I did for this exhibition is build on something I've been working on since about 2008, which is a series of what I sort of call travels with my music box, where I essentially go around to uh, wherever people invite me or wherever I turn up with um, a music box and some blank paper strips and invite people, create these kind of communal gatherings, really, social gatherings, where people can come together and create something in the same space um, in the form of a music strip. Um, and then we play that, and then I take that data and remix it and rework it into something else. So there's a kind of graphic score which is created, um, which sits on its own, and there's a sonic um, a sound piece that comes from that graphic score, and then I take that data, and obviously anyone else who wants to take that data can then use it and remix it and do whatever they want with it, either in its physical form or, or <coughs> in a kind of digital recording. And I think what I'm mostly interested in um, along with the sounds, the sonic cultures of, of, of making and how we might explore that is this idea of, of um, sharing and gifting and being able to enable people to take something that's been created and, and give them the opportunity to build on it. So for this exhibition I, I worked with um, a traditional textile song that comes out of the mills in Northern Ireland, particularly Belfast and Ulster area called the Doffing Mistress. Does anyone know this song? Would you like to hear a little bit? I'm not going to sing it because that, <coughs> that would be too painful. Yeah. Oh do you know her or do you not? This new Doffing Mistress we have got Elsie Thompson it is her name and she helps her duffers at every frame. Foldy right, far off, foldy right, far e. All together <laughs> on the chorus. Um, <coughs> so that's by, um, that's a version by Anne Briggs. Uh, the original versions were sung by predominantly women who worked in the linen industry in Ulster in the spinning rooms. <coughs> and they would sing these songs as they, as they were spinning the thread. The weaving um, sheds and factories were all too noisy for people to sing. There's a clatter of the looms too noisy. But the spinning room was a really strong singing culture. And one thing I'm interested in with textile makers is that textile makers seem to have lost that singing culture. They might sing, but not very often about textile songs. Um, or sing while they're making. It tends to be you know, tunes that they've heard off the radio and stuff. But there isn't that same kind of song culture within the textile industry as there used to be. Um, but what's beautiful, of course, about traditional folk tunes, in there, they, the doffing mistress, if you don't know, is the, does anyone know what a doffer is? 
Right. When you're spinning the linear threads, um, the bobbins, as they're collecting the thread, the person who used to come and take the, bo the full bobbin off and put the new bob bobbin, uh, empty bobbin on were called doffers. And they were usually children, young people who did that. Um, and the doffing mistress was the person who was in charge of the doffers. We used to make sure the doffers were doing their work. So this is a song about an ad their admiration for a particular doffing mistress. And if a new doffing mistress comes along, they might not have the same admiration because this new doffing mistress might be a bit stroppy or a bit bossy or whatever. They might not take to it. Um, and that's what, that's what the song's about. And what's great about folk tunes and relates back to this thing about open data is depending on the mill you were in, the song would change depending on the name of the mistress, stopping mistress, the name would change. So sometimes it's Elsie Thompson, sometimes it's Agnes Savage, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the tunes would be improvised, and they might miss stanzas out, they might um, miss sections out, they might ad-lib, they might join new things, and they, they sort of take on this life of their own. They become owned by that community and trans form into different versions of the song depending on who's in or and that's what one thing I really like about what I do with with the music box it takes the same sort of principle really the Anne Briggs version of the song which I sung you has is very famous within the folk singing circles and it has become fixed so if you go to a folk singer and so sing the doffing mistress most people will sing it exactly as Anne Briggs sings it um, same lyrics same tune with very little variation. Um, so it has become fixed as a thing, and it's very rarely um, transformed and manipulated. So what I've done with this, these paper strips is I've um, punched the, the tune <coughs> to a doffing mistress into that and then invited all the people to continue that, um, that tune and take it in new directions. And what's interesting about the strips, so I have six strips which are people have done so far which are all here um, which people can, can look at if they like um, which are they're in the kitchen um, the actual pieces in the kitchen here at ODI um, what's interesting about these is that I was expecting something I don't know why, that's my prejudice I was expecting something perhaps a bit more precise from, <laughs> from, from people interested in data <laughs> well people have gone kind of freestyle and there's a lot of kind of clamour and kind of, you know, thunderous snow going on in there, um, which is really interesting. People have been very freestyle. Some people have taken the strip, turned it over and created a kind of B-side, which means it comes even more cacophonous <laughs> within it. And so that's interesting. You never quite know what you're going to get. I, I kind of like that um, as part of the, the fun of and the excitement of doing it. And what I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just play you a little bit of each of these. There are six strips, and I'll just play you a little bit of the, of the doffing mistress bit, so you can just hear, hear how people have started to transform. So these are six separate strips um, where people have started to um, transform it. And I don't think they've done it consciously. I don't think anyone here, unless I'm mistaken, is a musician who's thought, well, I'll do it an octave up, or I'll, you know, I'll reverse this, or I'll do something. It just seems to be quite <coughs> random punching. But within that it means that you get by the sixth strip it becomes something completely different and it takes on its own um, uh, I don't know what the word is its own kind of voice I suppose
That's strip number one. Let's try <coughs> strip number starts by the time you get to strip number five um, I haven't laid on it as those over the top of each other but it starts to, you start to get some kind of syncopation and, and musicality within that and it becomes something else and I'm interested in then what you, how you might take that and build on it and through live performance then create something out of it which is what we're going to do in the, in the second half so shall I give a little demo of what I do have we got time of how I kind of work. Shall I do that? Okay, bear with me a sec. Just so um, on um, on one of these strips, somebody has punched. I don't know if you can, can you see that on the webcam? Somebody's punched ODI there. So I'm just going to do a little thing of sampling, taking that taking that tune, sampling it, building it, transforming it and creating some, something from it. And if you're short of Christmas presents for your loved one, then CDs are available in the foyer. <laughs> <laughs> or you might want to buy a jumper. Mm -hmm. Perhaps. So 
Um, see how this does.
There you go, slightly chaotic, but you get the idea. There you go. That's me. <laughs> it's nice to hear you talk about tradition and um, the kind of fluidity of tradition as well. Um, as someone who um, is part of uh, a sort of 21st century um, community of practice of live coding, this sort of way of making music with programming languages, um, which only really came together as a community over the last sort of decade or so. Um, it's very nice to work with someone who has that nice bridge with tradition and start to look for um, bridges to tradition from the kind of thing I do, which is live coding. As I say, I've done this before at ODI, but um, just to demonstrate, um, it's about um, describing pattern with programming language. Um, so being able to just work with um, uh, very simple pattern manipulations, but compose them together into um, something more complex. So it's about working with these very, um, uh, it, it's all work with text, so it's very digital in that sense, um, with these discrete elements that you're composing together. Um, but that's the same as what you have with one of these music strips, is um, very discrete, um, digital, uh, that you either have a hole in a certain position or you don't, sort of things, very binary in that sense. Um, um, and so it's interesting to think of a music box as being um, a digital instrument in the same way as a, um, a laptop is. Um, and it's true, um, but only to some extent, because although one axis of this is very digital, um, the other axis is very analogue, because you can place a note on any position along this music strip um, <coughs> And so, in other words, time is analogue, but um, pitch is digital. Um, you have this nice X and Y of digital and analogue working together, um, which is kind of beautiful, really. <laughs> and it'd be nice if computers were a bit more like that. And that's something that I try and develop. Um, my idea of live coding as being something that can be have that same sort of... Um, interference between analogue and digital. Um, but what I've made for um, today is, um, and for future collaborations with David, um, is uh, it's a music box, um, but it's got a webcam inside the box. So I think you can see me there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if I put this through here, um, 
you can see the holes appear and hopefully this quite dodgy bit of code will recognise the notes. So it's recognised that as a G and that as an E. Um, and then I can read that into my live coding. Um, so let's take that set of samples and just plug that in there. Just need to add a number to pitch it up a bit. <coughs> So that's the G and E. So if, if I wind it on, you should hear it change. As and then I can actually work with the live coding to manipulate this pattern, reversing it, for example. That's got a bit unstable. Um, or could just change the sample set and turn it into GABA techno. <laughs> See what that does. <laughs> um, so yeah, what else did I want to say? Uh, so yeah, it's nice to think of um, tradition as being something that isn't fixed um, and changes as as uh, as it gets passed from one person to the next, as Dave was talking about. Um, and from that perspective, it's nice to think of live coding as being a kind of oral culture, because what I type here, um, I'm just going to delete at the end, and you'll just maybe take some ideas with it from you about the structures I've made, and maybe make something with it yourself. Um, and I, I like that kind of um, thought of using technology as something live for the moment, but also something that gets passed from one person to next just through memory and, uh, and yeah, this tradition. Get away from the idea of digital preservation and sort of get more to the idea of digital tradition, which is a much more live. Um, but, yeah, I don't think I want to say too much more than that. Maybe we should go into uh, more of a collaboration at this point. <laughs> I should say that I took a, cop a copy of a physical <coughs> copy of a strip and managed to punch it perfectly um, to recreate the same tune so that we can play together.
<laughs> Thank you so much. Really, really wonderful to hear. And I think both of your practice is such a great reminder of the origins of technology, you know, expression and craft and art and a thing that comes from us. It's not something that is applied to us. Um, and also it's lovely to see this work together to remind that there's not the digital world and the real world, that it's, it's all the real world and, and it's all the stuff we do and stuff we share. So that's great. Um, we do have a few minutes for questions. So if anyone's got any questions, we would love to hear them. This doesn't amplify your voice, it's for the streams. Okay. I, um, yeah, so I really liked it. It was really cool. But I, I kind of wondered, like, there wasn't at any point a big, like, hook or a drop, right? And I sort of thought that's because, like, it's quite chaotic and you're sort of, like, heard in the sound a lot. You're not sort of using it like uh, a puppeteer sort of does with his piano. I wondered, um, is that just because that's the way you want to play or is it kind of difficult with the tools to create a sort of uh, recurring hook, if you know what I mean? Um, it's difficult. I think when we're trying, to, when we're playing together, it, it can be difficult because if Alex picks up a, a tempo, I can be completely out of tempo with what he's what he's doing and trying to bring <coughs> it back in is is, is quite difficult. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's why. I mean, I think when I when I play by myself, and I think definitely when you play by yourself, there's a definitely sort of build around the melody. But I think for today we were sort of built. It sort of went up slightly abstract, but you never quite know. <laughs> when you start, you've got you know, your first notes, and then after that, you don't really know where it's going to go. <laughs> so you're just trying to you know, vibe off each other, really, and yeah. try and find a, a commonality yeah. within. Because I was playing a strip, and I've no idea what the next note's going to be. <laughs> so I don't even know if it's going to be in, you know, it's in the same key, but I don't know whether it, what it's going to be. So I have to just be kind of mindful about trying to guess what it might be and whether it fits in. Yeah. Because it, it is improvised, so you just go where it takes you, really. And it started off as this sort of ambient wash, which sounded very nice, and so I just went <laughs> in that direction. Um, but I think there is a, um, a particular quality of live coding, which means that those sort of sharp transition sort of drops um, are quite hard to do. Um, 
sort of the gradual building up of complexity of code is what you hear in the music as well, sort of slow progression. Um, and those sort of um, sudden turning points are less common. Um, but I, I see that as a challenge and something to work on, different uh, yeah. ways of uh, structuring things so that you can sort of go back and forth between parts and sort of develop hooks and things. But yeah. Becoming more proficient with what you're playing as well, <laughs> so you know that you can, you know, you can turn it. <coughs> Do we have any more question. questions or comments? You mentioned working with fabrics. Do fabric patterns have tunes? And have you have you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've done a lot with um, almost every form of of textile making, from embroidery patterns to lace patterns, woven textile patterns, and they all have their own um, quality. Actually, um, the woven patterns, um, if you if you think about jacquard punch cards stuff they tend to have a very rigid um a lot of if you're playing out in the music box there's a lot of chords that go on <laughs> just by the nature of the pattern whereas embroidery you tend to get single notes in there much more so it's much more spaced out whereas you tend to get repetition of chords in um in a in a jacquard loom pattern with most jacquard loom patterns the same with kind of knitting <coughs> knitting machine patterns the same lace knitting machine patterns the same thing you tend to get a lot of Repetition with the occasional note missing, and then a lot of repetition, and then a then slight transition again as it follows the pattern. Yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of people kind of there's a lot of people doing it actually. There's quite a lot of people around the world who are who are exploring within their own culture, their own kind of textile patterns, and and sonifying those using music boxes or or various other you know technologies. <coughs> so it's quite a, quite a growing movement really of people. Alex, did you want to tell people about this piece that you've made with oh. Helen Halizia's Kluck, which is yes. part of the Thinking Out Loud exhibition? Yeah, I'm not sure how this book is on the street. I'll put it in case. Well, I'll <laughs> reference it. It's called Unborn by Helen Halizia's Kluck. Yeah, so this is um, a piece. Uh, it's an image that I made um, of a piece of music. So the sound is actually turned into this two-dimensional image, which Helen has then woven into the structure of this fabric. Um, so that you can see it in the in the textile, um, and it's a very beautiful looking fabric. Um, but the techno, uh, the the music is actually really fierce techno, which is quite an um, interesting comparison if you listen to it. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's really interesting working with Ellen actually, um, and and really finding out how. Um, amazing the structure of weaves are and always have been um, this is sort of uh, uh, sort of stone age technology that um, is around us everywhere but somehow we don't see it unless we're textile artists uh, or craftspeople um, uh, it's, it's yeah <laughs> the more you look at the structure of textiles you, the more you realise how complex it is um, and just as complex as the structure of a computer um, which is no uh, Coincidence. Um, actually, Ellen's uh, whole idea is that the <coughs> basis of discrete mathematics, which computation is based upon, comes from um, the structures of weaves as, as the predominant technology in the Neolithic era. That's a long story. <laughs> I don't know if we've got time for one more question, or do we need to wrap up? We've got one more. If anybody's got something burning they'd like to say. Um, 
So you, you do a lot of improvisation and collaboration when you're performing together. Mm. Um, and you said how it's quite abstract often and you can't necessarily anticipate what you're going to play. But do you, having, having done a lot of improvisation myself, I, I, do, you, do you ever find yourself wanting to recreate a melody that you've stumbled across mm. and, and try to do that and maybe not succeed? And then get frustrated. That's what I do. So I'm just wondering if it's something you share. Well, yeah. Some, um, when I'm playing the music box, sometimes, most of the time, I'm kind of recording and looping it live and taking a sample of it and then transforming that. And sometimes you play the music box and there's a really nice melody comes through, but you haven't recorded. You press record, so you've missed that melody and you can't go back because you have to go all the way through the strip <laughs> to get back to a point. And that, that melody is that three notes that you didn't know was going to happen, which is a really thing. You think, God, I could hook that, and that would be off. We'd take it to a new place. So there are those moments where the music box can be frustrating because you kind of miss it. Um, but I don't tend to, I don't tend to play the same strips again. Really, I tend to come with a new strip um, or a new thing that's created as a result of you know a workshop or or, or something. So it's sort of, mm. it's always a different strip. But I suppose if I was a, a more thorough with it, I could I could you know build stuff from home. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm the same really. Um, I, I, I really enjoy sort of doing new things with performance and um, very quickly get bored if I'm um, redoing the same things. I do have certain things which work and I remember and then I bring them to future performances, um, almost as things to fall back on. But um, with um, this language, it's constantly in development, it's an open source project with lots of people contributing to it, and I always feel that I'm learning it during a performance, which is something that I do really enjoy, actually, just um, exploring ideas and coming across new structures and things, or new to me, um, as part of a sort of live experience. What, what <laughs> uh, is it? Oh, sorry, it's called Tidal Cycles. Um, that, that should be a good enough Google search term, yeah. but tidalcycles.org, yeah. <laughs> um, which is software that you've written, Alex, for, yes. for people to do live coding with. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've developed it over um, a long time now, but uh, yeah, over the last few years, um, it, it, more people have used it, um, and now it's a, a quite a vibrant community of um, uh, musicians and developers sort of building it. So, yeah. Well, Alex and David, thank you so much for a very unusual and very lovely lunchtime <laughs> thank <you very> lecture. <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.